0: The key here is that we're not finding a magic way to pay differently that works for everyone doing all the same things today. We're unlocking an opportunity to do things differently, a new line of business, of preventing illness, of figuring out new ways to reduce costs and get rewarded for it. When we were in fee for service and I was the health commissioner of the city of Baltimore, we demonstrated that that you could go out to the homes of people who were calling 911 all the time and really help them and. We realized we could try to fund a program like that, but it literally would be taking funds away from hospitals because they wouldn't get paid for the visits. And you know, if a Martian landed and looked at a system like that, they go like, you know, what? Are, how does that make sense, right? But then you change the incentives, and you see hospitals across Baltimore now talking about their programs to help people in that situation because it's better for the system. And so. You want to unlock that, like, you know, here's why we went into medicine. Here's why we went into nursing. Here are ways that we can help people. There's a lot of innovation and creativity that can come in. I'm JB Wogan from Mathematica,
1: and welcome back to On the Evidence. (laughs) For years, health officials in the United States have sought to improve people's health while curbing the growth in healthcare costs one promising approach for fulfilling those dual objectives is something called hospital global budgeting a relatively rare healthcare payment model in the US that might be on the verge of an expansion under a federal initiative announced late last year so what is hospital global budgeting well In most places, hospitals rely on fee-for-service revenue. Their bottom lines are dependent on the quantity of services provided, regardless of their quality or impact on patients' health. The high-level idea with hospital global budgeting is that a hospital gets paid each year in advance an agreed-upon amount of revenue for all anticipated inpatient and hospital outpatient care. With no incentive to drive up unnecessary health care use, hospitals should then prioritize prevention and community services. In 2010, Maryland was the first state to establish a hospital global budgeting program, which expanded to all 46 acute care hospitals in the state in 2014. Other states, such as Vermont and Pennsylvania, are implementing versions of hospital global budgeting on a more limited scale, and they may soon be joined by more states. Last year, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services announced a funding opportunity for up to eight state agencies to participate in a payment model that would seek to improve the total health of a state population while lowering costs. On this episode, we'll talk about lessons from Maryland that could help other states decide whether, and how to adopt hospital global budgeting. Our guests for this episode are Dr. Josh Sharfstein, Tom Mullen, and Dr. Shule Garovich. Josh was the secretary of the Maryland Department of Health and Mental Hygiene when the state adopted hospital global budgeting. He is also a distinguished professor of the practice in health policy and management at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Tom recently retired after leading a prominent hospital system in the Baltimore area for about two decades. Aside from his role as president and CEO of Mercy Medical Center and Mercy Health Services, Tom was also a member of the Maryland Health Services Cost Review Commission, which sets hospital rates across the state, a critical component of how the payment model works in Maryland. Shule is a senior fellow at Mathematica, where she focuses on state health policy. She is also supporting Vermont's implementation of the All-Payer Accountable Care Organization model and Pennsylvania's Rural Hospital Global Budgets. Before her time at Mathematica, she worked for the Maryland Health Services Cost Review Commission. Welcome, Josh, Tom, and Shule. Okay, this is probably going to come as no surprise given the title of the show, but I want to start by asking about evidence. Maryland has had hospital global budgeting in some form since 2010. So what are the results so far? What progress have we made on those dual objectives of improving population health
0: and lowering costs? Josh, do you want to kick us off? Sure. And thanks for having me and thanks for your attention to global budgeting. Um, Maryland uh, has had global budget since, since 2010. Um, initially, it was a few hospitals as part of a pilot. And then uh, by 2014, it was statewide. Um, the evidence comes in different categories. Uh, certainly, um, Maryland has demonstrated cost savings to the Medicare program. Uh, there was an interesting uh, figure in the New England Journal of Medicine paper by CMS um, that showed Maryland is the most cost-saving model that CMMI has uh, produced so far. Wow. Um, and I think it's in the ballpark of a billion dollars for the first, you know, uh, part of the global budget model that started in, in 2014, um, uh, compared to, a, a control. So it's, it's a pretty, um, robust evaluation that has happened, uh, to look at that. And within that, um, You can also see that there are significant reductions in preventable admissions, which is something we'd want to see the model produce. And also seeing hospital-acquired complications uh, decline and readmissions decline quite a bit. So I think that there is a lot um, that it's fair to say the model has contributed to. Um, Although it's also fair to say, and I'm sure we'll talk about that, that there's uh, a lot of work still to do in Maryland. Okay, perfect.
1: Yeah, I'd love to hear more about what's left to do. Shule, I want to turn to you now. Mathematica has conducted some research on the impacts of hospital global budgeting in Maryland. What have we found?
2: Um, The best part about the innovation models is that there is a robust evaluation for each model. And uh, Josh kind of summarized the results of those evaluations that was published. And I guess from the state perspective, we shouldn't forget that this is a voluntary model and Maryland was able to get all the 46 hospitals into this model. So that's one place where um, other models are struggling, to be frank, because, um, as you know, it takes a, a lot of effort to get providers understand and work on the new models. Um, the other pieces uh, that the evaluation produces, in addition to global budgets, Maryland was able to also coordinate with other um, sectors, especially with primary care. So participation in primary care model is also quite robust compared to other models. I believe 60 percent of the primary care um, physicians are enrolled in the Maryland model. So I'm just going to focus on participation side as Josh focused on the results side.
1: Okay, perfect. And Tom, when you were with Mercy Medical Center, how did you see global budgeting affect patient health and cost of care? What results were you tracking?
3: Well, we were just tracking uh, the same things that have been mentioned, You know, the unnecessary admissions, uh, low-intensity ER visits. That was a big one where they basically disappeared. Hmm. And we saw our um, emergency room visits drop from... Uh, close to 70,000 visits to 50 and they were all what we call level one, two visits that are kind of, uh, not appropriate for the ER.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Wow. Was that surprising? Did did that level of change, was that what you expected to happen?
3: So fast, but, uh, it, it made sense as also you combine that with, uh, you know the uh, national health plans and uh, Obamacare coming in, g- giving people more access to physicians. I think we saw, you know, people not needing to go to the ER as much for for low intensity stuff. Plus, we we saw a lot of growth in um, in, the, uh, in the in the in the urgent care centers.
1: Mm. Well, especially if the results are coming out of Maryland are encouraging, and it sounds like they they are. Some listeners may be asking. Why isn't this happening all over the country? So let me put that question to you. What has deterred more states from adopting this payment model thus far? And Tom, uh, let me stick with you for this. What what do you think is stopping more states from adopting this model?
3: I think uh, it, not having a, a, a uniform system is a barrier. We had a uniform all-payer system, and people were used to operating within that. Uh, outside of Maryland, you it's it's uh it's fee for service and multiple types of arrangements with uh commercial insurers. So yeah, you know, getting off of this, you know, their their complicated reimbursement to something that's more simplified is, is a big hurdle. So I think it's it think I think it was we had an easier transition uh because we were all kind of uh in the same boat.
1: Interesting josh i'm sure that you talk to officials from other states who are interested in the maryland experience based on those conversations or any other insights you have what do you think might be holding them back or preventing them from uh from taking the
0: leap into hospital global budgeting well i think you know it's both the state officials and frankly the Mm -hmm. hospitals and as well as you know the state more generally that have to really be um, interested in this and interest is absolutely growing, particularly with the ahead model out there. There are a lot of places looking at this, many calls coming in. Um, I would um, add to what what Tom said and and point out that Maryland, you know since the late 1970s has had this rate setting system <clears throat> which um, is has a governance structure, has trust built between regulators and the hospitals. It has the hospitals working together for shared goals? all those things make this kind of conversation so much easier. You go to a part of the country where the hospitals are feverishly competing for patients. You know, there's a paper that in those markets, people tend not to share data, you know, let alone let's roll up our sleeves and come up with a new payment model that'll, you know, help us save money and improve population health and, you know, do all these other things. So I think that um, there's the just fact of how Maryland's model was constructed and its relationship with with CMS, but then there's the more um, uh, less the, or the less tangible aspect of a state that knows its job is to work together in in healthcare, and then being able to pivot um, with leadership from hospital leaders like Tom to to get to global budgeting. So my conversation with other state officials. It's about both things. It's about the policy details and what it actually looks like to put something like this into place, you know, how to think about the cost savings and the population health benefits. But it's also about these less tangible issues. How do you, you know, know, set up a goal for a state to do better for cost and for patient care? And how do you develop enough consensus and trust that you can start to evolve the payment models to get there?
1: One contextual question: Is Maryland unique in having that governance structure? Are is it the only state to have that, or or are like
0: how uncommon is it? Yeah, Maryland is the only state left with rate setting. So there were some other states, um, but at this at all payer rate setting, you know Maryland um, has that. So there were other governance structures out there, and and there are some that kind of you know councils that talk and and have some types of authority, but I don't think any have like the full um, Maryland. Okay, perfect.
2: I want to add global budgeting is also a tool and the goals are important, as Josh mentioned. So you could use it for cost control mechanism. You could use it for population health investment. And in Pennsylvania, they used it for rural health improving sustainability of the healthcare resources in their communities. And in that model, they were able to create a coalition of payers and the hospitals with that goal. So it is very difficult um, to do this in other states because you have to bring a lot of people, including commercial payers, at the table for this model to work because this is a big transformation for hospital, right? You want a majority of the patients and services included in a model like this to be effective. So that's the struggle that other states are having, uh, try to bring those coalitions together, and also have a common goal from all perspectives, including commercial payers and hospitals.
1: Mm. Well, you you kind of, uh, you, that's a nice transition, nice segue for the next thing I was going to ask, Shuley, because I, I wanted to hear a little bit more about your experience working with Vermont and Pennsylvania to other states that are implementing some form of global, hospital global budgeting. So could you, could you speak a little bit more to that? You just referenced Pennsylvania. What exactly are those states doing and uh, how, how is it working so far? What results are we getting in those places?
2: So um, every state has different goals. So Pennsylvania, as I mentioned, is more about rural hospitals and sustainability And the challenge there was recruiting hospitals. So, Tom, um, you know, your perspective here is very important to get them on board on this new model and working through the details of the policy and building trust. It takes years to build trust and a minute to destroy it, uh, as somebody says to me. Um, So there, uh, I think um, they did a great job recruiting about 18 hospitals and commercial payers are at the table and one anecdote another one is that the commercial payer said we are so happy to have rural hospitals at our table because of their size uh, we tend to not to talk to them so this was also a political improvement from the rural provider perspective vermont is dealing with very different issues they are uh, a rural state with Um, critical access hospitals, and um, they have very important issues around access, uh, wait time. So in there, they are trying to figure out how to create resources to focus population health. Um, And they are creating also a coalition, but they do have a commission like uh, Maryland, who can do rate setting or do additional things to coordinate and create that alignment that Tom mentioned. So they're really focused on creating commonalities across payers to create a global budgeting.
1: Okay. And you did mention rural hospitals. I, I was reading a, a 2017 article that uh, Shalai Yu and, and Josh co-authored for the Commonwealth Fund about hospital global budgeting. And one of the things that came up there was um, uh, that global, hospital global budgeting might be especially helpful for rural hospitals. Do you want to say anything more about that, either of you, about why it might be especially appealing for rural hospitals?
0: Well, I'm happy to to jump in on, on that. Um, I think that rural hospitals are struggling in many places, and they're struggling, you know, financially if the volumes are going down under fee for service. Um, but they're also struggling with a rural health crisis. You know, um, mortality is higher in rural areas. Suicide rates are higher. Overdose rates are higher. There, there's a lot of suffering going on. Chronic illness is extremely high. And hospitals, you know, I think in rural areas see pretty clearly that they um, are pushed to, you know, survive economically under fee for service by trying to have services for more, you know, very sick people. Um, Whereas a global budget gives them the ability to think about that differently and try to put in place services that actually keep their community healthier. And there was a a paper that came out about higher operative mortality for hip and knee replacements in really small hospitals. And, you know, you really, I I don't know, you know, this is just my projection, but you could imagine sitting there and thinking like, you know, on the one hand, we may need to do more surgeries like this, you know, in order to stay afloat, but with a higher mortality, you know, isn't there a better way for us to stay afloat that actually aligns with keeping people healthier? instead of maybe, you know, having them more likely to suffer a complication. So um, I think that there's that. There's also, I think, a technical issue that makes it easier in rural areas, which is typically a lot of the people in the community will go to that hospital. So it makes a lot of the attributions and, you know, some of the technical aspects of global budgeting easier to do. So you have both, I think, a very strong, you know, policy rationale and a strong technical rationale.
2: And on the urban settings, the safety net hospitals, right? So, from their perspective, there are technical issues, but looking at social drivers of health, um, again, they are struggling financially, uh, but their population needs more services. So, you could think about the global budget creating that incentive for them and providing additional funding where they can focus more on reductions in ed utilization like tom mentioned uh rather than trying to get more services uh that they have to compete with other centers in the urban center
1: okay well speaking of hospitals and urban centers tom i want to um turn back to you and i i'd like to step back now and talk a little bit about how even after a state adopts hospital global budgeting things will likely evolve over time so tom uh how did Mercy uh, have to change in response to this payment model? How did it change the way you did business and how did it affect health outcomes?
3: Yeah, well, we had to rethink uh, what our purpose was. And, um, you know, uh, prior to this, it was all about, you know, more volume, more volume. And this got us focused on the right volume, you know, the right care in the right setting. So, you know, we saw opportunities to expand access through ambulatory care centers located throughout the Baltimore region. And so we now, we, we, we've we changed our metric for success to how many patients are in our system that we take care of. And we're, we're up to like 280,000 people uh, have received, different people receive care at Mercy. And in downtown Baltimore, there's Maybe fifty thousand people, so uh, it's 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 really changed our way of uh, of operating, and we're not dependent on them coming necessarily into the hospital. We try to keep, uh, to have them to get their care in the in the right setting. So uh, we've seen um, you know growth in uh, ambulatory surgery outside of the hospital would be one uh, growth of uh, giving chemo to cancer patients outside of the hospital. Because those hospital-added uh, costs for chemo uh, were huge and uh, a big cost driver, so we were we were looking at that, and uh, I think we've been relatively successful with that, and we continue to be that way. And we also have to make sure we're in uh, working consistent with how our doctors feel care should be done. So the doctors are really critical in a, in the in the success here. And your doctors need to know that this isn't about taking their business away. This is about them doing the right things in the right setting. And so that's a key key driver. So physician integration uh, was a major major thing. And we 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 have approximately 250 physicians on our staff now. So it's pretty large for a, a medium sized organization. And they're all they're all uh, swimming in the same direction. So those are things that we did. Uh, and we and for what we did in the hospital, it didn't mean we weren't doing things in the hospital, but what we did in the hospital, we focused on efficiency and effectiveness, you know, trying to drive late to stay down on orthopedics. You know, now we're almost outpatient on orthopedics, almost everything. And, you know, when we started the global budget, we were two, three, three, two and three-day stays. And some of that's technology, but some of it's consistent with, uh, where we're headed and global budget, it's all about uh, it's all about taking care of the patient, not necessarily about driving additional uh, units of service. You,
1: you mentioned physicians and how they felt about global budgeting. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Did they see? Did, was it hard to get buy-in? Did they like the idea of investing more in preventative services? Were they worried? What? It sounds like they were. There was some concern about. Um, it being bad for business in a sense. So tell tell me a little bit more about that.
3: I think their initial fear is it's about, you're going to, you know, we're the end of the, we're the the ones who are going to get hit hit the worst in this. And we said, no, you're not. You're the ones who take care of people. We just want you taking care of the people who need to be taken care of. And so that was kind of the, uh, kind of the view. And the primary care doctors were dying for this, you know, because the primary care doctors are the beginning of the food chain in terms of how people uh, work their way through the system. And now even in primary care, Josh would know this, we're running out of the ability to find primary care doctors hmm. because it is so great. And we're moving to uh, nurse practitioners and other kind of alternate providers. So um, the doctors uh, understand that, but we also, the, the specialists are the ones that have the crosshairs on them and they're concerned about, well, you don't want me to do these cases. You know, we, we, you know, that's the whole idea is for me not to do the cases. And we say, no, that's not the case. We want you to do the right ones, the ones that need to be done. And, uh, and we kind of view it as sustainable volume, volume that, you know, you got to give and, uh, and not, uh, unnecessary type type procedures. So, so that's been the focus. Doctors have accepted it and, and believe in it. And, uh, and, uh, We've done relatively well. Our doctors are fairly successful, and uh, and they're and they're well known in the Baltimore community.
1: Josh, I'd like to turn to you. We just heard from Tom about some of the journey that Mercy Medical Center went through with global budgeting and the experience of hospitals and doctors. What lessons can other states draw from Maryland's experience with global budgeting?
0: Well, I think there there are a few. We certainly have talked about a lot of the promise, and I think the promise is both on the cost side, which matters to a lot of people, and on the health side, you know, which is incredibly important, particularly in a country where we have massive life expectancy gaps, and we're falling further behind, you know, other countries around the world. Um, but in terms of actually implementing it, I think there, there, there are a few lessons. And I think, you know, Tom really touched on a bunch of them. Uh, one of them is uh, the need for time, for a model like this to develop and for people to become comfortable with it. You know, when we switched to global budgets, there were people writing papers like Maryland fails, six-month evaluation shows no difference, you know? And here we're, we're really trying to fundamentally change some of the incentives in healthcare. And you really do need to be committed to it and, you know, work with healthcare systems, doctors, others to try to get it to work. You know, I think doing business as usual under a new payment system can be frustrating, but seeing the opportunity of a payment system to allow you to do things differently in a better way is really where you want to get people, like Tom Tom is saying. And so I do think that um, some degree of patience is important. A really uh, important thing is a transparent and engaging governance process. And I think um, Maryland... Um, has done that. Well, you know, um, Tom served on that governance process. He played a really important role um, in both informing the overall system about the needs of hospitals and talking to hospitals about the opportunity of a new model. So, you know, you, you can see, you know, every policy put out for public comment, all these different, you know, strategies that Maryland system does um, to be, um, engaged and transparent, all those things I think really do matter. And then, um, you know, I I guess, um, I think uh, if you ask me for a third lesson, I would say that um, to be innovative, you know, like the, the key here is that we're not finding a magic way to pay differently that works for everyone doing all the same things today. We're unlocking an opportunity to do things differently. A new line of business. I used to say, I think back in 2014, that like there's a new line of business of preventing illness, of figuring out new ways to reduce costs and get rewarded for it. In you know the fee for service world, um, you know there there are certain great things that actually cost everyone money, so people are much less likely to do them. You know, and um, I remember at one point. For example, we, back in, when we were in fee-for-service and I was the health commissioner of the city of Baltimore, we demonstrated that that you could go out to the homes of people who were calling 911 all the time and really help them, you know, and not just reduce the expense in 911 in the emergency departments, but, like, make sure they're on the right dose of insulin or they have, you know, their social isolation address, and you could really, really help them. And we realized, it, you know, We could try to fund a program like that, but it literally would be taking funds away from hospitals because they wouldn't get paid for the visits. And, you know, if a Martian landed and looked at a system like that, they go like, you know, what? how does that make sense, right? But then you change the incentives and you see hospitals across Baltimore now talking about their programs to help people in that situation because it's both good for them and it is better for the the system. And so you want to unlock that, like, you know, here's why we went into medicine. Here's why we went into nursing. Here are ways that we can help people. There's a lot of innovation and creativity that can come in. So I think that's also a third lesson. Well, um, I mentioned in my
1: intro that the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services is encouraging more states to adopt hospital global budgeting. And states could do it through this new funding mechanism or some other means, obviously, um, there are states that are already doing this before the funding mechanism even exists. But for states that are interested in hospital global budgeting, what's at least one thing they'll need to be successful? And Tom, I'd like to start with you. What what would be one thing you think that states and the hospitals in those states would need to be successful?
3: Well, they need to have a common uh, vision and goal. And, so the, and that, that leads to cooperation. So you've got to have cooperation among the the various providers in the continuum. Uh, if you have folks in the continuum uh, resisting to doing this, it'll be a challenge. So I would say uh, that's the number one thing, cooperation among the providers and uh, and and agreeing that this is the goal they wanna perceive, pursue.
1: Okay, uh, and and I said at least one thing, I didn't wanna limit you too much. If there's anything else that you want to, to add to your list, feel free. Um, Anything else that you would, you would.
3: Oh, I, I think you got to be prepared to go after high cost patients and and come up with uh, new ways of delivering care to them. And we know that, you know, the diabetics, you know, the cancer patients, the uh, uh, orthopedic patients, all those uh, types of patients, heart patients, but so we have to develop strategies within the cont- continuum to kind of have superior outcomes, but a less costly way to get there.
1: Josh, I imagine that you have have a list and and have shared that list with uh, people in other states. But yeah, what what if, if a state official reaches out to you and is interested in hospital global budgeting? What would be what would be your one or two things that you would recommend that they
0: implement to be successful? Well, I think it is it's really important to have a good um, dialogue and understanding with the hospital leaders who will actually be running the the program. And so, you know, I, it would be true that I have recommended at times that um, Tom Mullin speak to them, <laughs> you know, because I think, you know, frankly, there are only so many things I can say that, you know, hosp- people in the hospital industry will, will, um, under you know, understand and appreciate. And then as I start to venture into what it could be for them, it's just so much more powerful to hear from someone who has led in that situation and accomplished great things. So I I do think that more broadly, this is a approach, because it's an approach broadly to the healthcare system, it really does require a lot of cooperation for a public leader. It's not something that can be imposed entirely top-down. But even for a hospital leader, it's not something that can be done entirely within their walls successfully. There are certain things that can be done, but you do want to have good community partners. You want to suddenly know about what mental health services are available. Because now that we look at our population, we're seeing people with a lot of behavioral health conditions keep coming back to the emergency department. Can anything be done to help them? You know, so it, it means engaging more with, with the world around you, no matter where you are in the system. And I think that is, uh, it's an advantage, but it can be hard. And really facilitating that and facilitating that kind of spirit is really important for our success. Shule, I'll give you the final word here.
1: What is at least one thing that a state will need to be successful if they do indeed go down this path of implementing hospital global budgeting? Um,
2: so, Tom made the comment around vision, right? Common vision. And Josh is talking about coalition and getting uh, the communications right. And I work a lot on the detail with the policy. So, from my perspective, we need to meet where the providers are so this is a long-term vision and long-term change right so if they are not as comfortable moving into a fixed payment and they have concerns for certain things we need to hear them and we need to make sure we can get them gradually to where we want to all go as opposed to having a very impatient structures where we expect everything to change overnight. So that's, that's the lesson learned from working, especially with Pennsylvania and Vermont and talking to other states.
1: Okay, I think that's a perfect note to end on. Tom, Josh, Shule, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed talking with you about hospital global budgeting, and I'm curious to see where states go from here. Thanks to our guests, Tom Mullen, Josh Sharfstein, and Shule Gerovich. And thank you for listening to another episode of On the Evidence, the Mathematica podcast. If you like this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review on your podcast player of choice. And if you aren't already, please consider subscribing. We're on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, Good Pods, as well as many other podcast players. To learn more about the show, Find us at Mathematica.org slash On The Evidence.